So welcome. My name is Pastor Justin. We've been talking about what it means to live on mission uh, over the past uh, several weeks. And last week, if you missed it, we were talking about what it means, what it looks like to hear the voice of God in your life. And um, I was thinking about it, like how many, how many of you know, like when, when you feel like you've heard God's voice, um, when you've sensed like his calling in, and uh, you get, maybe you've been given a prophetic word that just resonates in your spirit and you're like, yes, this is, this is from God. And yet nothing seems to be happening. Like, I don't know, I've, I, I, this happens to me all the time. I get words, I write them down. I'm like, this is awesome. I feel like God's in this. And yet I look around with my eyes and my ears and um, everything in front of me seems like none of this is happening. And yet I know that it's a promise that, uh, that the, the Lord has just deposited in me. So what I want to talk about today is how do you prepare for a promise when outwardly you see nothing? You know, God has said, you know what, like, I, I've, I've prepared for you a partner, um, a, a marriage partner, and you're like, I don't see nothing, right? You're looking around, you're like, they ain't in this service, right? You know what I mean? Like, you get to this place where you're like, I, I, I don't understand. Like, God, I know you've given me this promise. I just don't see it. Like, I don't see anything happening. So what do you do when you've received uh, the, the call on, on your life or you've heard the voice of God, you have an inward kind of like um, witness of the word, and yet nothing seems to be happening. The reality is, what's that? You wait. you wait. It's hard to wait, though, isn't it? That's the difficult. That's what I'm talking about. When you're just like, I don't know how to wait well. What, what do I do in the midst of this? Like, what do I do? Um, how do I co-labor with the promises and the purposes of God? So um, Luke chapter 4, it's interesting. Jesus was in the synagogue, and he opened up the scroll. This is like little boy Jesus, and he opens up the book of Isaiah, and he reads this um, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he reads them his purpose. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what's interesting to me is that Jesus is telling them essentially like this is being fulfilled in your hearing. Like uh, this is what I came for. This is why my father sent me. This is my purpose in the earth. And he literally tells them the why behind the reason he has the spirit resting on him. And if Jesus outlines his father's business and says, this is why I was sent, I just believe that the spirit-filled church should be known for the same things. At least the spirit-filled church should be known as a place of hope. The spirit-filled church should be known as a place with good news, a place of freedom, a place of recovery, a place to help meet the physical, emotional, spiritual needs of people, spirit, soul, and body, wholeheartedly. And uh, especially, I would say, as we live in one of the most unchurched, post-Christian regions of the United States, um, that living on mission for us really isn't an option. Um, living on mission is the way forward. Uh, not living on mission is living according to the world. And the, the reality is that it requires us to think outside of the box, to just church as usual. It requires a new wineskin for new wine. It requires us to, to think like missionaries, because you are. 
whether we realize it or not, in the area that we live in, uh, we rank as one of the most unchurched post-Christian areas of the United States. So, which means that your neighbors, your coworkers, and all of those people, many of them have never actually even heard the gospel. Maybe they went to church as a little kid, but they don't, they've never actually heard the gospel. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19 says, For I'm about to do a new thing. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the wasteland. I want to say this. Make no mistake. God is at work. And I, this has been like rolling around me, this Isaiah 43. is like, can you sense it? Do you see it? Will you partner with him in it? New pathways of ministry to people, new, new sources of hope to people who are hopeless and desperately need the good news of Jesus Christ. The Lord brought me to an Old Testament passage this week in 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, if you want to turn there in your Bible or your version app, that's kind of where we're going to be resting this morning. Um, Luke chapter, or excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 18 is all about the story of the prophet Elijah praying for rain. Now, you may not think that's a big idea because we had just 24 hours of rain. Thank God it's over, right? Like, <laughs> um, but let me just give you a little brief recap um, of where we're going to pick up the story this morning. Um, Elijah, if you're unaware of this prophet, was a beast of a man. Um, I just imagine him just, just being just a, a beast of a guy. In 1 Kings chapter 17, three and a half years earlier, Elijah had prophesied the word of the Lord to King Ahab. And he said, that, he said this, there will not be rain or dew for the next few years except at my word. So for about three and a half years, leading up to where we're going to catch up today, three and a half years, there was a drought in the land. There was no rain. There was no dew. There was not even mountain dew. It was nothing. It's, it's Father's Day. I get, father, I get dad joke. One, one, it's my day. It's my one day. Um, 1 Kings 18, Elijah hears the Lord again, and the word of the Lord says, go and present yourself to King Ahab, and I will send in, send rain on the land. So Elijah goes to King Ahab, and he presents himself to King Ahab to essentially give him the word that like, hey, <laughs> storms are brewing. The three and a half years of the drought is over at my word. What he finds, though, is that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel have turned to worshiping false idols. They were just, the wheels had come off. They had, you know, left the worship of Yahweh, and they were, they were worshiping Baal, and they had all kinds of false prophets and false idols. It was, it was a hot mess that he finds, he finds the kingdom in. And so Elijah calls a showdown, and he's like, you grab all of your false prophets of Baal. There were 450 of them. And he says, we're going to have a showdown. Um, and so it's this epic story. He tells the false prophets. He gathers them all together. They kind of build this altar. And he says, you know, we're going to call down fire from heaven. You call on your gods. I'll let you go first. And um, you call on your gods. And the, the, the God who, who sends fire from heaven to burn up this, this sacrifice, to burn up this, um, this, this, uh, this wooden altar, 
is that that is the true God. And so he says, you go first. So they have 400 prophets of Baal, and they're like dancing around. It says that they're doing like weird cultish things, like they're cutting themselves, they're yelling, they're making a big, like big, big spectacle as they call out to their false gods. And all day, they're, they're making a big spectacle, and not one little spark, not one little smolder, nothing happens. Elijah is like, you guys done? Like, maybe he's asleep. You need to yell louder. Like, he's taunting them like I would. And he's just like, he's just going at it. And then finally, they are tired out and they need to go get band-aids and they're done. And so Elijah steps forward. He um, pours water around it and on all the wood so that it's extra hard to, to light up. And then he, uh, he calls down fire from heaven and fire comes and just smokes everything. Literally just, he laps up all the water, gone proving that, that Yahweh is the, the true God. So the Lord comes through, um, proves that, that Yahweh is the one true God, and all 450 of these false prophets were put to death. Um, it's kind of not a good day for them. Um, and Elijah literally comes off of this amazing time of seeing God move mightily and showing and proving himself to be all-powerful, and now Elijah is waiting for the rain that God had prophesied about, because that was the big deal. It wasn't about the whole showdown. The showdown happened because he's like, what in the heck? What are you guys doing, right? The showdown happens, but the, the, the reason he first came was to prophesy that the rain was coming. Now, 1 Kings chapter 18, why don't you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. The prophets of, of Baal are killed, and verse 41 is where we're going to pick it up. 1 Kings 18, 41. Elijah turns and says to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is a sound of a heavy rain. And so Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, a mountain, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. He went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back, go back, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. And so Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky, sky grew black with, with clouds, the wind rose, and a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Lord, I, um, I thank you for your word. I pray that as we, um, as we just take a look at the life of, um, of Elijah holding on to a promise, a word of, of you in his heart while not seeing it with his eyes, um, that we would be able to take some of these principles, some of these ideas away, to be, to be able to actually steward the promises that you've given us. Help us to wait well in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So um, let's just kind of walk down through this story like, like, we, like we normally do um, and see what God has to teach us about like, how to wait well for some, some promises. In verse 41, he says, Elijah says to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. Now, just pause there for a second as you read that. Like, I want you to understand something. 
that at this point, it has not rained for three and a half years, and there is not even a cloud in the sky. So when Elijah turns and presents himself to Ahab after slaying all 450 in the big, the big showdown and all that, and he turns to him and says, you go, go and eat, because there is a sound of a mighty rain. He's not hearing with his physical ears. There's no rain. There's no storm clouds brewing. There's literally nothing, and it's been three and a half years of a drought. He's not hearing with his ears. He's hearing with his, with his faith. And so Last week, we talked about hearing God and like having that inward witness when you just like, you know that you know that you know that God has like deposited something in you. This is that. He's not hearing and saying, look, I, I see the storm coming. I looked at the Doppler radar and it's, it's about ready to descend on us. Like he's literally saying and speaking prophetically that which is unseen, that which he's actually not hearing, he's speaking out. He's saying, get ready because a storm is brewing. It's essentially what um, the book of Hebrews the writer of Hebrews kind of gives a definition for us of what faith is, and it, it literally defines it so well of what, what's going on here. It says, now, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I mean, this is a perfect example of Elijah walking in faith. He says, you better get ready because I hear the sound of a mighty rain. He's hearing with his faith ears. He's not hearing with his physical ears. This is, uh, Elijah has this assurance of what he did not hear. Because for Elijah, I want you to get this, it's like the drought had ended even before he heard the rain. Because he heard the word of the Lord. For Elijah, the drought was over when he heard the word of the Lord. Way back in 1 Kings chapter 18, God said to him, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. In fact, if you just read that, the, the word of the Lord to, um, to Elijah, the promise seems to require his participation. In fact, like, he's essentially saying, you, Elijah, you go and present yourself to Ahab. So you get, you get to move in. You go and present yourself to Ahab. Tell him what I have to say to you. And I, God, will send rain. He didn't say, hey, Elijah, if you could just sit around and do nothing and just wait till the rain starts and then go tell Ahab? He says, no, I want you to actually go and present yourself and tell Ahab, prophesy the word of the Lord to him, and then I will send rain. So there's actually, like, if you, if you look at this story, like, Elijah accelerates the promise of God by boldly speaking out what he'd heard from, from the Lord. He hears the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord requires his co-laboring, his co-participation in this, and he accelerates the promise by acting on the word that he heard. He hears the word of God. And can I just say this? Like when you, Maybe you felt like you've heard a, a word from God, like you've received a prophetic word, or maybe there's just been a knowing as you've been in your word, and God's just all of a sudden like revealing something to you. Your next question should be this, now what? Sometimes we write it down and we think, oh, that was a great word. Oh, give me give me goosebumps. Oh, that was awesome. That, our next question should be, now what? Because so often the word of God will require our participation. It doesn't require us just to sit back and be like, oh gosh, well, who knows? <laughs> that was kind of a nice little thing. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Sometimes it will actually require your action on your part. Sometimes it will require your silence. 
literally, sometimes it'll just be like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold that and ponder that in my heart. I'm gonna watch so that I can see with my eyes that which God has spoken to me. Sometimes it requires silence and sometimes it requires you to pray it in. And sometimes it requires you to boldly speak it out, out loud, boldly speak out that which God has spoken to you in the secret place. And this is what, what Elijah's doing. He goes up to Ahab and he says out loud what was whispered to him in quiet. And I'll be honest, like for me personally, Justin, like it, this is one of the most difficult things for me. It is, it is one of the most risky things for me to do is the thing that I know that I've heard God whisper to my heart, but it's like, man, I, but what if I didn't hear it right? Like, what, what if, well, what if he doesn't come through? Or what if, what if nobody understands? Or what if they're just like, mm, I think that was bad pizza? Or what if I'm not enough? Or what if, what, all of these things, all of these questions, all of these risks that come into play, I'm sure it's the same thing, some of the same things to even greater degree that Elijah's wrestling with because he's not going to just random people. He's speaking it before the king. He's saying, get ready because this is going to happen. Now, Elijah could have played it safe, kind of like what we do, where we, he might be like, you know, instead of, instead of going in and saying like, hey, Ahab, get ready, it's going to rain. He could have said something that's a little more, I don't know, palatable, like, hey, I feel like I sense that, that like there's a moderately high probability and maybe quite possibly we may have some small precipitation occur in the near to distant future. He could have said that, right? Like, and maybe gotten a job as a weatherman in Maine because you got to be 50%, you know, right, 50% of Like, you, do, you don't have to be right. You just kind of like play it safe and be like, it could rain or not, you know, it might be might be hot or, or cold. We don't really know. Like it's spring in Maine. He may be able to get a job as a weatherman, but, but it means he's not living on mission because living on mission means that you take a risk. Living on mission means that you go up to the king of Ahab, king Ahab and be like, hey, you better get ready. I know that we haven't had rain in three and a half years and I know there's not even a cloud in the sky, but you better get ready because a storm is a brewing. He just comes right out to him. It's like, wow, dude, you just take a risk there. Yeah, he did. He took a risk. Verse 42, Ahab actually heeds his warning. It says he, he went off to eat and drink. I don't know what that's all about. I don't know if he's like, I better go some Gatorade and go have a snack. I have no idea what that means. He goes off to eat and drink because the storm's coming. Elijah, instead of just sitting there and being like, all right, cool, I did what I was supposed to do. Lord, bring the rain. He goes up to the top of Mount Carmel because he realized that it wasn't just his responsibility to just speak out the word and walk away and be like, yeah, it's up to you, God. I did my, what I was supposed to do. He actually realized that there's an ownership of a word. When the God speaks a word, that it's our job to, to pray it in as well. So he goes up, up to the, the, the top of Mount Carmel, and then it, you can read it. In verse 42, it says, he bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. That's intense. Now, I've told you over the years that um, in, in my marriage, we, um, we talk and then there are times where we talk, talk. I don't know if you've ever experienced talk, talking. Um, you probably have, if you've been married for any length of time, there are times where you just have conversation, you talk about random stuff, and then there are times where you talk, talk. And it means like you're talking with a purpose. You're discussing issues, you're, you're solving problems. Um, you're, there's issues in the family that you, you need to just like talk, talk through. Um, talk talking is talking with a purpose. 
And so um, many of you, I actually I hear all the time, people are like, hey, Justin, I, I saw you and your wife. You guys were, you were walking. You know, we live in Kennebunk. We, we have this like three-mile loop. And they're like, I saw you walking. And I'm like, oh, you don't, you don't know my wife. We don't walk. We walk, walk. They don't, they don't realize, you don't realize that, like, I'm not just going for a walk. Like, I, if you see me by myself, I'm just going for a walk. If you see me with my wife, I am walk-walking, which means um, if I ever tried to leave the house without my sneakers on, she'd be like, buddy, you better get your sneakers on because I am walking with a purpose. I mean business, right? So, so many times when you see us, we are walk-walking and talk-talking. Um, most of the time, we're talk-talking while we walk-walk. The interesting thing is that when James describes Elijah here, when he's like, he says that he bends down, puts his head between his knees, this scenario about Elijah, he says in James chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Those two words, prayed earnestly. I looked it up in the Greek. It's so cool. Um, it's actually, these two words would would... I would say would be better translated as pray prayed. Kid you not, you can look it up in the Greek. It's literally two forms of the same word. What he's saying is Elijah wasn't just praying on Mount Carmel. He wasn't saying his bedtime prayers. He wasn't praying over his stake. He was pray praying, which means better get your shoes on, buddy, because we mean business, right? So the Bible was actually saying, like Elijah goes up to Carmel to pray pray. He was praying with everything in him. He meant business. He knew that he needed God to come through to, to honor the promise that he had proclaimed, that he had heard in the secret place and spoken out loud before kings. And he knew that God needed to come through. I want you to notice, like, um, as, as he's pray-praying in verse 42, it actually says that pray-praying involved a posture of praying. Um, I'll, I'll show you. He, um, I'm getting older, but like he, he gets down. It says he bent down. You can read it. And then he put his head between his knees like this. I don't even know. I think I'm doing it. Can I just, can I just tell you? I don't know if you've ever prayed like this before. You're, you're not going to doze off. You're, you're not thinking... Did I close the garage door when I left today? Did I leave the iron on? What are we going to do for lunch? Like, he is down in a posture of pray praying that is uncomfortable, that is a, a place of um, just absolute serious and abandoned, like, like I mean it. Like, like my prayer depends on it. And I, I will say that I think that many times we content ourselves with maybe just thinking a prayer or maybe we say it out loud or speak it. But do we get into a posture of prayer? Do we, do we fast and pray? Because I think there's something even in the American church that we've forgotten when it comes to praying. Like Elijah, Elijah wasn't saying his bedtime prayers. He was, he was pray praying. He was praying on mission. It's kind of what we used to say, pray it through, right? Like, I'm, I'm here, and I'm going to pray it through. I'm getting into a posture of prayer, and it, 
I can't even, I mean, it, it, that just doing that for like two minutes was incredibly awkward. It was an uncomfortable position. But he was serious about it, almost like his praying depended on it. In verse 43, he, uh, he's still in that position. I'm, I'm imagining, it doesn't say that he came up from the position, so he's putting his head between his knees, and then he says to his servant, go and look toward the sea. He didn't go look toward the sea. He had his head between his knees. He says, go and look toward the sea. He's telling his servant to give him a weather update on the storm that was coming. And he went and he looked, the Bible says, and his response is, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. What I love about Elijah is that he was believing God even when nothing seemed to be happening. He just, he just had this faith. Uh, I, I, I'm believing you, God, that I've heard your voice, that I, that, I, that I have a knowing in my knower. I'm trusting that you are who that you, you say that you are and that you will do what you say you, you will do. And he keeps telling his servant to go, go and look, go and look, go and look. And the servant keeps coming back, coming back, coming back, saying nothing is there. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been looking at nothing and yet hearing something. Like you're looking at, 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 at the, the scenario in front of you and you see nothing, but yet you hear something. Just because you can't see it right now doesn't mean God didn't say it. And sometimes you got to hold on to, uh, to a promise, even though all outward signs say that nothing is happening. And he goes back, it says in verse 43, seven times Elijah said, go back. Seven times, seven times. Think about, I mean, think about how crazy this must have been. Like Elijah is down, head between his knees, pray praying. He's already told the king there's a storm brewing and nothing is actually happening. And I'm sure he had all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of doubts, all kinds of confusion. Did I hear it right? Oh my gosh, I totally just, wow, this, this could go sideways really quickly. Nothing is happening, all kinds of doubts, because he lives life just like you and I live life. You and I don't have the opportunity to be able to see our life from the end to the beginning. You don't get to know how your story ends ahead of time. We know, oh yeah, well on the seventh time the rain comes, it's pretty awesome that he just did that, head between his knees and everything. Like, but how many times are we sitting there and it's the fifth time and it's the sixth time and you just keep saying, has anything changed? Has anything improved in my financial situation? Has anything changed in my marriage? What about my kid that I've been just praying for that God would just bring them back home? Like, has any, no, nothing, no, nothing, no, nothing, no, nothing, no, nothing. No, nothing is actually happening. And he didn't know that the seventh time was going to be the magic number. And if Elijah didn't prepare in prayer, then he wouldn't have reaped in, in rain. And I, I, what I love about this is I really think, I wonder why he got into that posture of prayer. And I don't think it's because he was holy. I, he was a holy guy. I get, get it. I don't think he got with his head between his knees, bent down like that because he was holy. And I thought about like, well, why did he keep sending his servant to go do it and see and look seven times? And I don't think it's because he was lazy. I think that Elijah knew something that maybe we forget. I think he knew that he needed to fix his eyes on the unseen. I, I think he needed to fix his ears on the inaudible and he had to fix his faith on the impossible 
because all staring at nothing will do is distract you. So he's, if, if he was like, you know what, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to pray, 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 I'm going to pray, pray, head between my knees, and then get up and go look, <sighs> nothing. <sighs> he literally is like, I'm going to commit to pray in the impossible because I'm praying in the word of the Lord that God has spoken to me. It's not something that I'm just wanting to, to just happen in my own might and my own power and my own thoughts. I'm praying in the word of God. But I just know that if I get up and I see no stinking cloud, not even a little bit of dew on the stinking ground, it is not going to go well for my faith. And so he, good, good thing he's got a servant. He's like, you go look. Just go look. No, nothing. Just, just go again. Five minutes. Every five minutes I need to just keep going, right? Keeps going back. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And then, verse 44, the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. I don't know about you. That is the weirdest weather report I have ever heard. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like a hand like, like this, like out, like if I extend it on the horizon, like that, or like a guy on, a, on the other mountain waving to me, that size hand? Like what in the world does that even, how do you even, me- how is that a measuring tool? A cloud the size of a man's hand. Like I, I literally have no idea what that even means. I don't know if he was just reporting back something because he didn't want to have to go back for an eighth time. He's like, yeah, I think I see like a, there's like a man's hand, maybe. Something's going on. I don't know. We should wait. Give me another 20 minutes, right? Like, either way, what we find is that things turn from nothing to not much. Isn't that how life happens sometimes? Like, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. It goes from nothing to, mm, okay. It's not exactly what I was hoping for, but it's a start. Because I think big dreams start with small beginnings, like no exceptions. No exceptions. And even though it was small, it was enough for Elijah to freak out about it. Look, before we, before we, get, to, before we get to his freak out, uh, the, the third point is this. And he did this by celebrating when small things be, began to happen. Um, he started celebrating when he started seeing small things begin to happen. It was, it was a cloud the size of a man's fist, and to him, it was the answer to prayer. And even over the past couple of weeks, like I've just been celebrating what God's been doing in you recently. Like There has just been an activation in our church. And I don't mean like church corporately. I mean church individually. Like You, as the body of Christ, are stepping into callings and visions and missions and passions and talents that God has like placed in you to move forward in. Um, and it's just like this, this activation. And some may see it as small, but when you're looking for a promise that God has given you, when you know what is in the heart of God, even for like a vision to do in our city, then the, it may be the size of, of a man's hand, but for me, it's an acceleration of the promise of God. Like when you know that God has promised you something and you start to see small beginnings, you see something that may be something like a small cloud, it's like, thank you, God, because now I'm seeing with my eyes what is in your heart. And you start to celebrate that. I think that's the, that's the most amazing thing about what, what this guy does, what, what Elijah does. He sees the, a cloud the size of a, a man's hand and he, and he just gets excited about it. Um, now, I don't know about you, but a, a tiny cloud is not a rainstorm. 
It's not. It's not even close to a rainstorm. But Elijah sees something that's insignificant as an answer to prayer. And his response to me is so funny in verse 44. He tells his servant, he's like, you go and tell Ahab, you better hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Hitch up your chariot? All right, I got a cloud on the horizon. He's like, you better get ready, bud. You better go hitch up your chariot because you're not going to want to do that in the mud. All right, you're going to get that done. You better get it down. You better get down. You're going to get stuck. The rain's going to stop you, and you're not even going to be able to, to make it down. Excuse me? This is a fetal cloud. Like, this is not even worth mentioning right now. It is the size of a man's hand, whatever that measurement means. And maybe we should wait until it gets a little bit bigger so that um, we could then have something to say to Ahab, what is the rush? And one of the things that I love about Elijah and how he accelerates the promise of God is that he is preparing in faith for something to happen. He's like, you better hitch up your chariot, get ready. And I want to say this to some of you in here, like, do you feel like God is going to do something in an area of your life that you've been pray praying about, that you've been believing, that you've received the word of the Lord, that you have an inner witness about? Like, do you believe that God is about to do something in your life? And my question for you is, are you preparing for the blessing you've been praying for? Are you preparing for the blessing that you've been praying for. Did you notice that if he didn't hitch up the chariot and start the journey, then the blessing would actually be a hindrance? He says it in verse 44. He's like, you hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. That thing that you've been praying for for three and a half years, that thing that you've been hoping for for three and a half years, if you don't get ready for it, if you're not preparing for that promise and that blessing, that actually may be a hindrance to you because you're not actually prepared to even steward it. You've been operating in unbelief for so long that when the actual thing comes, you won't even know what to do with it. It'll land in your lap and you'll be like, I, I, what, I don't know, what? I don't know if you've ever encountered a blessing that actually became a hindrance because you hadn't made room to prepare for it. Like if God answered your prayer tomorrow for the thing that you've been hoping for over the past three and a half years, would you be ready to steward it? Like, I know you've been praying that thing in. You've been like, oh, Lord, God, I just, would you do this? Would you win them? Would you do this? Would you bring them back? Would you, God, would you, would you bring freedom in this area? Would you? If it happened tomorrow, what would you do? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't expect it. <laughs> the thing I love about Elijah, he sees a cloud. He sees like, like, like the prodigal son coming up over the ridge. There he is. He's home. And he just runs. He just runs towards it. Like, who does that but our Father? Who does that? He says, you better hitch up your chariot and prepare for it because there's about to be some things happening in your life. And it takes participation. So I don't know what that means for you to hitch up your chariot for this year as you head into this year. Like, Maybe it means that you sell the house finally. Maybe it means that you, you throw off that paraphernalia that you just kind of keep going back to. You, th you break off that relationship that you just know is, is, not, is not going anywhere. You start trusting maybe by, by tithing and saying, God, I, I don't know. I just, I, 
maybe you commit even though it scares you to death. I don't know what hitch up your chariot means. I just would encourage you, the thing that you've been praying for, make sure that you're preparing for it. What are you doing today to make room for the blessing of tomorrow? So that when the blessing does come, it doesn't land in your lap and you're flat-footed knowing absolutely no, I don't even know what to do with this thing. That's the beauty of what we learn even just through the life of this, this mighty man of God. Verse 45, it continues. Meanwhile, the sky, sky grew black with clouds, the winds rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And then it says this, the power of the Lord came on Elijah and he tucked his cloak into his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. I don't know if you noticed this, but I think it's important to note that, that literally Elijah outran a chariot. He's like, go tell Ahab, pitch up your chariot, head down to Jezreel. And, and the power of God just comes onto Elijah and he just tucks his stuff in and just starts running, right? He's like Forrest Gump of the Old Testament. He just, I was running. And he just starts running and beats a stinking chariot. Like, who does that? Nobody does that. Nobody beats a chariot with horses. And you got a king. Like, you beat him? Verse 46 said he was running in the power of the Lord because this is my point. Faith will cause you to run in the power of the promise. When God saw all of a sudden speak something into your heart, into your life, you will find a power that you didn't realize that you have and is not of you. You may be tired on the outside and have faith and strength on the inside to run faster than a chariot. And you may be like, you don't understand. Like, I'm, I'm just getting old. I'm retired now. And that's gone. I'm leaving that for, for, for younger people to be able to do. And God says, oh, no, 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 no. Let me remind you, Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And so he tucks his cloak into his belt so it wouldn't get muddy. And he just starts running in the rain. Starts running. Great story. Epic story. And then we get to 1 Kings chapter 19. Very next verse. Verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say this. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Dang. That's quite a, that's quite a threat. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. What? Like, hold on a second. This man who prayed fire from heaven, slaughtered 450 false prophets of Baal, heard from God, took a risk to, to speak it out loud, not just to his friends, to his mom, to his neighbors, to the king. This man who went up on the top of Mount Carmel and pray, prayed that in, had faith even when he saw nothing, 
just outran a stinking chariot in the power of the Lord, and now he gets a death threat from Jezebel, and he runs for his life? What? He goes from this mountaintop experience of God doing amazing things to the valley of testing, and fear takes over. It's surprising, to be honest with you. But the reality is, is that fear will cause you to run from the power of a problem. I don't know if you've ever been there before. Like, have you ever come down from a mountaintop experience only to find what is waiting for you in the valley? And it really, it, all of a sudden, all, God's done amazing things. He's spoken to you on the mountain. You are ready to move forward. God has given you vision for your life. He has he's given you freedom and he has set you free and all of these great things. And then you go down into the valley of testing and all of a sudden you're like, what in the world is going on? The wheels have come off the bus. He comes running down the mountain in the power of the Lord, and he's literally standing. Think about this. He's standing in the promise, soaked, head to toe in it. And a, and a servant comes over and gets one threat from Jezebel, and he says he runs for his life. Like, I think the, the reality is, church, is that promises never seem to come without resistance. You should almost expect it. Because the... Your enemy, the adversary of your soul, actually doesn't like it when, when all of a sudden God confirms his promise in your life and you begin to walk in a blessing that you didn't actually afford for yourself, but that came through God. And so all of a sudden, the enemy comes and resistance, this happens all throughout, all throughout the Bible. You look at Caleb and Joshua, we talked about that a few weeks ago, right? They were met with resistance from the other 10 spies. They're like, we can't go in. Like, we can't take the promised land. And Caleb and Joshua were like, did you see these grapes? And they're like, did you see those giants? We can't do this. You think of Nehemiah when all the resistance that he came into just to try to rebuild the ruins of his city. And like, we're going to do this. And they're like, you can't do that. The Apostle Paul wrote most of our New Testament, planted all these churches, and yet was beaten, shipwrecked, beaten, whipped, beaten, thrown into prison, and beaten. Did I mention he was beaten? <laughs> like, promises never seem to come without resistance. And it's easy to allow fear to forfeit God's blessing when we get bad news on a really good day. Because this is exactly what's happening in the life of Elijah. He gets really bad news on a really good day. He is soaked in the promise and yet allows fear to come over him because of the problem that, is, that he's facing. And I almost want to yell at Elijah. I almost want to be like, dude, Elijah, what are you doing? Let me just recount everything that you've just been through. How could you go run? You just came down the mountain running in the power of the Lord. You outbeat a chariot in a race, in a foot race, and now you're running for your life because some woman says she's going to kill you? What? That's crazy to me. Why don't you stand with me? I think the, the, what, we, what we want to pull away from this in the life of Elijah is that you can hear from God, you can walk in obedience to his word, you can pray, pray it in, you can find, find his blessing on the other side of your obedience and yet still not walk it out over the, over the long haul if you allow fear of the problem to forfeit the promise. 
And God, God, I just believe when we, when we realize that our job isn't to necessarily figure everything out. Our job is to just rest in, God, what is it that you want me to do? I'll walk in that. I'll walk in obedience to that. I can't control haters. I can't control what's going to happen on the other side of this. I can't control threats. I can't control persecution. But I can control that I will keep my heart right before you, knowing that everything depends on you. Everything. So as we worship today, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Like, what, what is God calling you to speak out loud that he's spoken and whispered to you in secret? What do you, what do you need to step out in faith, trusting that his blessing is on the other side of your obedience? What has he called you to maybe believe that he is who he says that he is, that he will do what he says that he will do? How is he calling you to co-labor with his mission, with his promise, with his blessing? What is God waiting for you to get your face between your knees and pray, pray about it like, like your prayers mattered? Even though you see nothing on the outward. And maybe for some of you today, I just want to encourage you as we end in, in worship today, maybe for some of you, you see nothing right now. There has been this thing that you've been praying for that you have just been seeking the Lord after and you see nothing, no change. It's, it's the sixth time. I would just encourage you to just keep praying. And maybe you see a small thing Maybe something, a little tiny cloud the size of a man's hand. And I would encourage you to celebrate it. To celebrate that which God is doing, even if it's small, because all big dreams have small beginnings and there's really no exceptions to that. And maybe, maybe God is calling you to start preparing for the blessing. Hitch up your chariot. Preparing for today what God will do tomorrow so that when it comes into your hands, you'll be ready and willing to move forward with it. What is the Holy Spirit calling out in you today? And it doesn't have to be as big and outlandish as Elijah. Sometimes it is so simple. God is saying, I'm actually just asking you to trust me in this. Allow me to show myself mighty on your behalf in this area of your life, but it's going to cause you to take a risk to trust me, to believe me, that I am who I say that I am, that I will do what I say that I will do. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we worship you today, dreams and visions, prophetic words, knowings, inward witnesses, the voice of the Lord in our life would just be so clear. And that that question of what next, because of that, what is my role in that? Lord Jesus, I pray that as we move forward on mission together, that we would seek your face and trust you. Trust your word. Even when we don't agree with it, even when we've got questions and doubts, that we would choose to trust you, give you an opportunity to show yourself mighty. We thank you for, the, for this, this word. We thank you for the life of Elijah. May we learn from it how to steward well, how to wait well, even when we don't see anything with our eyes. In Jesus' name, let's worship.